electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll do it, make friends. I'm trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put days like today in perspective. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, and you should go because it is Halloween, at Jim Cramer. All right, what do we think? Lousy earnings, miserable market. That's my forward summary of what's occurring or what befell us, even as the averages did just fine today. Dow only advancing 124 points. That's a big gain, 0.65%. NASDAQ climbed 0.48%. No, but a little bit less than NASDAQ versus the others. Now, it's not like the years were bad. I mean, this is our second positive day. We shrugged off a wayward opening. We know that the S&P is 500 up 9% year to date. Dow's flat. Most important, the Nasdaq's still up a huge, nearly 23%. But I'm calling that number out. I'm saying that number is an imposter. This, yeah, it's, you know what it is? It's a costume. It's a Halloween joke. It's a trick. You see, because the average's strength comes almost entirely from a handful of stocks we call the Magnificent Seven. That's Alphabet, and it's Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. If you weren't in those during the run-up, and that now seems like ages ago, doesn't it? You think that 2023 is one busted year with a blessed couple of months to go. It feels lousy and miserable because as we whip into the final two months of the fourth quarter, even the seven seem wounded and incapable of mounting in advance. Sure, we saw scattered signs of strength today, as we always do. This time it was airspace and defense. It's always one sector that stays afloat each day, masking the broader weakness, urging you to come on in because the water looks fine. So what the heck is going on? A couple of things are at work here. Uh, a couple of, and they really are what makes the markets very repulsive, even when it rallies. First, as we round the bend in November, analysts need to make the projections for 2024 for every company they follow, given how skittish everyone's feeling about next year's thanks to the Federal Reserve's relentless rate hikes. While long-term Treasury yields keep soaring, there's just no trust in the numbers. No one believes. They assume next year will be awful, a recession or a slowdown that will cause disappointment when we ultimately see the numbers. When you don't believe in management, you don't search for reasons to own anything. You bolt. Sell, 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 sell. That should be caught in a yard of crushed bones. Hey, let's talk about one. Let's talk about Caterpillar, okay? Because that was a big defeat for the Bulls today, a big win for the Bears. Uh, CEO Jim Ompleby has transformed Caterpillar from a deep cyclical company into one that has a much smoother growth path. And today came out with a much better than expected quarter. You should see the stock was flying in the early, like, 6 to 15, adding that the year will finish stronger than he thought. Hmm, rising profits, strong demand, so far so good, right? You'd think that'd be a recipe for higher stock prices. Well, you know what? If you thought that, you would be dead wrong. Sell, sell, sell. Yep, better earnings, better forecast, bright skies, and what happens? Stock goes down more than 6%. It was hideous. A house of pain. Why? 
because no one trusts that a company like Caterpillar can possibly beat the estimates, no matter what assurances the company gives, given that both the U.S. economy and the rest of the world have him down. It doesn't matter that Jim Mulvaney, CEO, has navigated this company pretty much perfectly since he took over at the beginning of January 2017. It doesn't matter if the stock has doubled during that period, not including its bountiful dividend, even as cats a dividend aristocrat, boosting its dividend every year for the past 29 years. Does it make any difference at all that the U.S. government's about to spend an insane amount of money on infrastructure, and infrastructure means Caterpillar? No, it does not mean jack. These positives aren't worth a warm bucket of spit in this market because we evaluate companies every single day, every single hour, every single minute based on the macro environment is controlled by the Fed in the long end of what we call the yield curve. Given that we hear from the Fed tomorrow, if Jay Powell talks tough, Caterpillar stock's going to go even lower. Probably will, along with the raft of other stocks that are regarded as cyclical. Who wants to step in before that event? Because we're going to reevaluate those companies tomorrow. How about me? Where do I come out? I'm not in the revaluation game. I actually like franchises. And if they get too high, maybe I do some trimming, and they get too low, I do some buying. We sold some cat for the Travel Trust in the 270s, precisely because we expected the stock to get knocked down by ostensibly uninformed sellers who heard China orders are weak, even as China's now less than 5% of the business. Or by people who don't trust Jim Uncle, we despite a stellar track record. Hey, it happens. As we told club members today, at 225, we're starting to ready to buy back some of the stock. Of course, we're frozen, can't do what we want, but we tell people who are trust members what we would be doing. This kind of revaluation nonsense happens daily every single day. I read an exclusive breaking news story today about how it's that was I should put quotes on that, about how NVIDIA will lose up to five billion dollars in orders from China because our government's trade restrictions. Well, guess what? We have been saying that every single day, every single day to club members. And there it is. It's exclusive news. What the exclusive didn't say is that those chips are going to flow back to the U.S. and NVIDIA may get even more for them than they would from China. And it's going to dislodge some business from AMD and Intel. But maybe there's business enough for everybody. AMD signaled that tonight after it reported. Of course, that came after the stock went down four points, but then came back up four points because this stock is revalued within 30 seconds. Instant revaluation. First wrong, then right. I don't know which one's is which, not tenable people. Again, like Cat or like so many other situations, NVIDIA is not going to get the benefit of the doubt. No more than that negative story should have been written like, like that if rigor mattered. doesn't matter if NVIDIA has arguably the best track record of any company in the 21st century. They're not going to get the benefit of the doubt now because Wall Street won't give the benefit of the doubt to anyone in this environment. And by the way, I think you should own NVIDIA, not trade it. Same thing with Apple. But you know what? I have no illusions. Those stocks are probably going to get hit here. I mean, they probably will. Apple will probably go down on its quarter, probably get clubbed beyond all recognition. I don't know. The news will be spun negatively. NVIDIA can't win without China. Apple's a total no-growth company with no prospects. Cutting numbers, cutting price target, cutting this, cutting that. Well, who's been right? Me or them? I rest my case. Oh, well, okay, not everything's been bad. ServiceNow was able to post a positive quarter, and its stock actually went up. Well, that's one. I got to find another. I got 499 others. I got to check into them. Uh, now, this market grinds down everything to a nub of a pencil. What's it ground down so far? How about healthcare? How about pharmaceuticals? How about banks? How about industrials? How about retailers? How about autos? How about utilities? How about semiconductor? How about fintech? How about real estate? You name it. One sector after another. Here's another anecdotal thorn in the side of the market. We know that Meta Platform saw its stock fall 20 points when it said that advertising paused because of the war in Gaza. But last night, Pinterest said that the advertising pause has already ended. So I think buyers will eventually flock back to Meta and revalue it right back to where it was. My point, though, is that it shouldn't have gone down so much to begin with. But given how negative and jaundiced and lacking in trust this market's become, your stock might get punished by a best-in-show set of numbers. You need to know that this is all highly unusual behavior for a stock market. With the averages up so much for the year, you'd think that buyers would be less discerning, maybe the owners less skeptical. But tomorrow we find out whether the Treasury Department plans to fund the deficit short or long, 
Meaning, will it raise money out of a couple of years, or will it raise money at the 10 or 30-year levels? If it's the latter, then anything you bought today will be worth less tomorrow. Uh, that'll only be worse if the Fed says something that in that press conference, that silly press conference where like people say, hey, you know, I'm Mr. Fed chair, you're awful. How can I be? Whatever. And then he has to call another person. He publicly humiliates himself. He deserves better than himself. When does all this stuff stop? When does this instant wholesale revaluation process regularly make you wonder if all stocks have any intrinsic value? They do. It stops when either long term interest rates peak either because the bond market somehow magically reaches equilibrium where actual real buyers come in, or the Federal Reserve says it's done tightening and stops selling its monster bond hoard. Positive days like yesterday and today make you feel like one of those bullish outcomes could be right around the corner, allowing us to have faith in the 2024 projections. But we get smashed tomorrow and all the stocks that rally today will have those gains repealed instantly. People, everything is just a trade. Here's the bottom line. Maybe we can only trust 2024 when we're in 2024. Or maybe we can only trust it when, heaven help us, Treasury bonds go down in yield and up in price for a couple days in a row. Would that be too much to ask? Maybe not. But I wouldn't bet on it. Let's go to Raj in California. Raj. Yes, sir. This is Raj Bagai from California. I'm wondering regarding Lyft stock. Should I sell it? Oh, uh, uh, you know, I saw this piece today. It was from Moffitt Nath. It's a very well-reasoned piece. It was well thought out. All this stuff is always well thought. It's really smart people. They went to really good school. They all went to Stanford, right? The Stanford's a hard school to get into. And what we know about this, we know is that they hated Lyft, and they think that it's going to be rock, crush. I like Lyft. I think the guy, but I, I don't like the stock right here. But the guy who's running it is a smart fella. So I think the piece was too negative and biased. But I think the guy went to, like, Caltech or something. You know, I mean, maybe went to smart school. He's a smart guy. He's a magnet. The guy was magnet. Magna. Let's go to Jeff in California. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Glad I got you on the phone. I've been listening to you so long. I oh, remember the you. days when he used to throw chairs against the wall. Yeah, then I did that. Day, no, I, you know, I slipped the disc, frankly. No one knew that. I, I, I hit it really well. <laughs> you did a good job. Yeah, That's I also had a drop foot. I got a drop foot where you can't pick your foot up. You're not supposed to talk about your health issues. Okay. I shouldn't anyways, have said that. Go ahead. Anyways, I got a question for you. What's going on with Hershey? I, I look at the stock. Uh, you know, look people look at that GLP. That's, they're just looking and saying, well, you know what? First of all, it is Halloween, so happy Halloween. And Ben Stoto, he treated us today. Not, he tricked us. But here's what's happening with Hershey. People feel like they're going to eat less chocolate because of the GLP ones, these uh, drugs. And I got to tell you, the people who eat chocolate are going to eat chocolate whether they're taking the GLP one or not. You know why? Because it tastes good. And I got into Stanford and I said, no. <laughs> True. All right. How will we know if this market is really true? How do we know if this market is a treat, not a trick? Maybe we can trust, trust this market when Jersey bonds finally go down and yield for a couple of days. But well, we have to wait and see. Is that too much to ask? Well, made money tonight. Farming equipment company Agco reported a strong quarter this morning, which sent the stock higher. But it was some cautious commentary regarding lower commodity prices, a younger fleet. I don't know. Is it still right to stick with the ag story? Let's talk to the top brass. Then, we only have one way of celebrating Halloween or mid money. Consulting the fear gauge. I'm surveying the VIX and seeing what it could be signaling when we go off the charts. And Pfizer had some write-offs related to COVID treatment vaccine leading. I hope you got your vaccine uh, for the pharmaceutical giant. Are investors getting a buying opportunity with a 5% yield? I think we have to talk to the CEO. So stay with those really great schools and Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We need to talk about the total breakdown in all things agricultural stocks, the fertilizer plays, the seed companies, crop processors, and the makers of farm equipment, they've all been pretty hard hit. A lot of that's simply because crop prices have pulled back from their highs. Food is one area where central bankers all over the world have had some real success fighting inflation. But wasn't there a feed-the-world thesis here that was supposed to make the whole group more durable? Was that real, or is it just a figment of our bullish imaginations? That's what I was wondering about when we heard from Agco this morning. This maker of agricultural equipment reported a very solid quarter, inline sales paired with a monster earnings beat, and management raised a full year earnings forecast. As a result, the stock did jump more than 2% today, but it's still down more than 21% from its March highs. We get to the bottom of the story. So let's take a closer look with Eric Ansodis, the chairman, president, and CEO of Agco. I want to learn more. Mr. Ansodis, welcome back to Man Money. Always good to talk to you, Jim. Thank you, Eric. Now, I have to tell you, I'm, I have mixed emotions. I kind of want to talk about the tech. Because the Trimble acquisition is huge. But I also, I, I find this pattern. North America, demand 2 to 3% lower compared to healthy levels. South America, demand 2 to 3% lower in 2023. Western Europe, down 2 to 3%. How is it just so uniform? These are very different parts of the world. Yeah, there's a lot of things being mixed together there. In, in total, those demands are down. But small egg is down more. Large egg is actually growing. 
And large ag is where the focus of our company is, in larger machinery, higher tech machinery. And so you've got a lot of things mixed together. It just so happens that the numbers line up. But is there any change, fundamental change, that would make it so that uh, we should sense that the post-Ukraine issues where food shot up had really come down and that things are kind of better off for the consumer than they were? Well, in general, we had like hyper demand over the last two or three years and commodity prices have cooled off a little bit back to we're essentially normalizing to some degree. Uh, we've still got very strong demand. We've got order banks out six or seven months on all our JAG equipment. Um, our, our seasonal products like planters, sprayers and track tractors in North America are sold out for modern year 2024. Got a lot of strong demand, but it's more normal. It's still higher than what we had pre-COVID. It's just not so crazy like we had during the early days of COVID. All right, then let, let's talk about the ag, because ag is, would you regard that as a difference maker? Your salespeople up against another company, and you just have a, a product that is more productive, gives them a bigger yield? Well, that's the whole focus of our strategy, is to become the industry leader in smart farming solutions. We've raised our engineering spend 60% since we've introduced the new strategy just a few years ago. Uh, we've bought six tech companies. And then, like you mentioned, we had this huge, largest in the history of agriculture, ag tech deal with Trimble Ag. We're forming a joint venture to become the industry leader in mixed fleet precision ag. These are all investments to try and solve farmer problems, make their equipment more productive and more sustainable. And usually our target is to give the farmer that solution with a payback of about one year on their farm, worst case two. So it quick, it's a quick payback for them. Well, how is that possible? I mean, what, they have fewer people that will work for them? I mean, that's a, would be a remarkable productivity enhancement. It's not so much about the labor. It's about the inputs. So better management of fertilizer, seed, yeah. other chemical. You know, when you think about the fertilizer used around the world, if you loaded it all up into train cars, it would be a train that goes all the way around the planet. And yet only half of that fertilizer is used by the plant. The rest of it gets wasted. So a lot of our technologies are to be putting the fertilizer down such that the plant can use it and we don't put any extra down. One of our latest technologies is a targeted spraying. Uses artificial intelligence as I'd be able to identify the difference between the weed and the crop and only sprays the weed instead of spraying the entire field. Saves like 70% of the chemical. These are big expenses for the farmer gives them a lot of economic benefit, gives them fast payback, but requires the technology and artificial intelligence on these machines to make it happen. Who's, who's making this stuff for you? Well, um, largely we're designing and developing it ourselves. We use some suppliers for some of the components, but we're developing a lot of our own sensors. We're doing most of our own software, uh, developing a lot of our own um, control units and things like that. Uh, and so, it, and, and now as we form this joint venture with Trimble, we'll own 85%, Trimble own 15%. They do their own development work. They outsource some of the manufacturing of some of the electronics in, in some places, but fundamentally it's their IP. Uh, so we're each developing our own technology to solve these problems. Well, is it possible that overall our cost of food could come down and the farmers still make more money and we kind of have a virtual circle in the country, in the world? Well, if you remember, we've got three big drivers of demand. We're going to go from 8 billion to 10 billion people. Mature, diets are maturing, going from uh, grain-based diets to more and more meat in the diet. That's a multiplier on the time for, uh, demand for grain. When you add beef in, it's like 10 times multiple for the amount of grain used. And then biofuels. 
all three of those are saying that we've got to have way more productivity, way more yield, and yet way less uh, carbon generation. And so these are the kinds of technologies that make that equation work. You know, we've seen the ethanol boom here over the last 10 years or 15 years in North America, where now 40% of the corn crop is, is used for ethanol. The next one, I'm, uh, not many people are talking about this yet, Jim, but we're really focused on renewable diesel and, um, and uh, aviation fuel. That's going to become, in the next couple of years within North America, 40% of the soybean crop. A wow. huge demand driver in the short term, just on that one leg of renewable fuels. So lots of demand drivers all working in parallel in agriculture to say, we got to get more out of every acre of the farm all around the world. And the only way to do that is be more precise through technology. Well, look, that's a, a great synopsis of what's really going on. It's, it, I did not understand it myself. I'm too close to the analyst trying to say two cents this, two cents that. It's obviously a much bigger picture. And at Arcane Sodia, a corporation chairman, president, CEO, has it totally under control. Eric, thank you for explaining that to our viewers. It's terrific. Appreciate it. Really enjoy my time with you, Jim. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Nevermind. back after the break. Coming up. When volatility's rocking, do come a-knocking on Mad Money's door. Kramer goes off the charts to tame the beast next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. got a very oversold market. We've had a real reprieve from selling so far this week, but we're still stuck with what we know is a difficult tape. We, we're still hostage to the bond market and the price of oil and the upcoming Federal Reserve meetings. as hit the top of the show. It makes it hard for me to feel confident recommending anything for more than a trade because we know that the rug could be pulled out from under us at any moment. But at a tricky moment like this, I always like to take my emotions out of the equation, maybe get a little more of a quanti- quantitative perspective rather than just that kind of touchy-feely emotional stuff. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with double Mark Sebastian. Now, he's a smart technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, and he's our resident volatility expert. We always go to him when we're trying to get a better read on volatility. He likes to watch the CBOE's volatility index, which we also call the VIX. Uh, that's at least for short. It's fear. I like that because it's Halloween. I thought it was kind of a nice thing going here. Uh, it, it's the VIX fear gauge is what he spends a lot of time looking at because it can show you when investors are feeling more frightened more confident. Trick or treat. And sometimes that lets you spot situations where the average are much more likely to change course. Special points out that even though the S&P 500 is still up for the year nicely, and the NASDAQ is crazy, it's been obliterated since it peaked in late July, down more than 400 points from the top. However, from his perspective, this hasn't been a particularly scary sell-off. We haven't seen many wild declines that push the S&P down more than a couple of percent on any given session. The, worst, the market's worst day during this three-month slide was September 21st. The S&P 500 was only down about 1.6%. It's a placid decline. Even though the decline has been relentless, it's also been somewhat gradual, which is why this whole process, I think, is so excruciating. Normally, when the S&P is falling like this, you expect the volatility index to soar. It almost always moves in the opposite direction from the average. Plus, there's a reason we call it the fear gauge. In ugly markets, the VIX is supposed to take off. But this time, it hasn't really exploded higher. And Sebastian thinks that's because the selling has been methodical. 
methodical. Remember, that's that grind down that I keep talking about. Even on September 21st, the worst one-day decline in September, in, of the S&P 500 during this period, the VIX only rallied about 17.5%. Uh, 17.5 that's not very high. It made its intraday high a little over a week ago at 23, although it finished the session closer to 20. Now, take a look at this chart of the close-to-close close movement in the S&P 500. The 10-day historic volatility in red, and while the 20-day historic volatility is in blue, with the chart going back to June. Special points out the short-term volatility in the S&P is at its highest level since the sell began, currently at 14.5. But when you zoom out to the daily chart of the volatility index going back to July, you see that the VIX was still trading at over 19 as recently as last night's close before falling just over 18 today. When the volatility index peaked on October 20th, the S&P's 20-day historic volatility was sitting at 13.26. In fact, despite the short-term volatility staying relatively low, the volatility index has been climbing steadily higher, even as it's pulled back from its highs during this week's benign trading. Now, check out this pair of charts with the action in the S&P 500 on top and the volatility index on the bottom. Sebastian likes to look at them in tandem because they're often negatively correlated. And when that correlation breaks, it tells you something strange might be happening. He points out that on every dip in the S&P 500 since the beginning of September, the VIX has made a higher high followed by a higher low. He says this is what it looks like when the volatility index is ramping up, even as the S&P 500 has finally rebounded over the past couple of days. But this kind of action is perfectly ordinary from Sebastian's perspective. When the S&P goes down, the VIX is supposed to go up and vice versa. That suggests itself is likely to continue before a big trend change. The VIX and the SP 500 tend to start trading in the same direction, which uh, is how you know something's up. But we're not there yet. That would make things easier, and I would have started the top of the show differently if I hadn't seen this. However, Special says we can get a tip-off that something's going on when you see the volatility relatively outperforming the actual movement in the S&P 500. How do you measure that? Okay, take a look at this chart with the VIX in blue and the CBOE Realized Volatility Index. I haven't talked about this one. It's a one-trading-month measure of historic volatility in red. You can see that the VIX is far above the actual realized volatility here, and the spread has remained incredibly wide for over a month. In his view, something has to give here. Either the historic volatility is going to jump or the volatility index needs to come down. What does this mean? According to Sebastian, when the spread between historic volatility and implied volatility gets this big, it's usually in response to a VIX spike or a major macro event. This time, the VIX hasn't really spiked, so something else might be going on. Historically, when we see this, Sebastian says it often means that the VIX is wrong and we're approaching a bottom. Of course, this is based on a small sample set because the volatility index almost never runs this hot without a major financing event driving the action. But we saw the spread between the VIX and the S&P's historic volatility widen back in March when the regional banks looked like they might be going belly up. Ultimately, we got over that. The crisis ended up being much less serious than initially seemed. But that first sell-off was horrific. In short, while the VIX is saying that things are going to get much uglier, the historic volatility says the VIX is wrong. So as Sebastian sees it, we're either headed for a face-written rally or a horrific multi-standard deviation down there. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Mark Sebastian show that volatility is percolating and the spread between the VIX and the actual historic volatility has gotten very wide. As he sees it, this is a sign that we're approaching a decisive moment. But whether that's positive or negative remains to be seen. Let's go to Arden in Florida, please, Arden. Oh, yeah, Jim. Uh, just calling today, spoke to you a few times, went back to the, uh, you know, Cudlow days. Sure. My pal question, my, my, <laughs> my question is, with Devon Energy trading at 
46. Uh, and uh, Oxy trading at 61. Devon pays 10%. Uh, Oxy pays 1%. Yet the price is $15 higher for Oxy. I don't understand. Well, see, we don't know what we don't know what Devon's what Devon only will pay as a, a variable dividend. Uh, and we also know that Devon's had uh, several really bad quarters of which I don't really understand because Devon is a darn good company. So uh, that's it's, it has much more to do with the inconsistency of Devon than it does with anything else. But I appreciate the call, Arden, and I do miss my pal, Larry. We had a great show going for many, many years. How about Tony in Florida, please, Tony? Hi, Jim. I just want to thank you. I'm a great uh, club member. And oh, I thank love you, Tony. The Homewood Stretch, that is one of the best things you can Jeff. Well, you know, Jeff and I, when we go at it, it's very funny because, you know, there's no script or anything. We just kind of go at it. And everything on TV is scripted or at least pretty much uh, prepared. That thing's the most unprepared thing I've ever done publicly. So I'm glad you like it. And I, people who don't belong to the club, you ought to try it just to listen to this crazy 2 o'clock broadcast we do. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, that's okay. Um, this stock, I like dividends, and it's a Good dividend stock. It, I bought it at 80, all the way down to 70, and it's a club stock. It's um, Morgan Stanley. Um, yeah, I, look, I gotta tell you. It, oh, no, you gotta. I, look, I, I keep telling Jeff we gotta buy more. This is, in the end, Morgan Stanley. Now, I mean, look, I remember when it was 10, 10 to 15, and Ruth Poor, I was calling me and saying, listen, we're gonna make it, and boy, did they ever. But this is actually, I've gotta tell you, if I were running Morgan Stanley, I would just say, okay, listen, I'm buying back 10% of the company right here, right now. And regulators, I got the capital to do it. This is a horrendous stock right now. Uh, but you know what? There's an awful lot of horrendous stocks right now. The charts are driven by Mark Sebastian show the spread between the VIX and the actual historic volatility. It's gotten very wide. As he sees it, this is a sign that we're approaching a decisive moment. But whether that's going to be is we don't know. It is indeed very spooky. Hey, much more man money. Advisor has been acting on a new strategy for a few years. Uh, from a big big acquisitions, double down in COVID treatments, but is it working? Well, we got to talk to the man himself, the CEO, Albert Borla. Then I read a piece of research this morning to have you think it. Could the global EV meltdown be upon us? Wow. I'm cruising through the space to give you my take. And all the calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. stop the bear market in big pharma? Take Pfizer. Here's a company that made billions of dollars in the pandemic and started using them to buy smaller drug companies in order to bulk up its pipeline. They want to get ahead of some big patent expirations use Cliff coming in the second half of the decade. But the stock is now down 40% for the year, in part because the drug stocks have gone out of style, but also because of some company-specific issues. In March, Pfizer offered $43 billion to buy CGEN, that's the old Seattle Genetics. That's a high-priced deal that could take several years to be additive to earnings. And we don't even know if the regulators will let it happen, even though I think they should. Meanwhile, interest rates have soared, making Pfizer's 5.4% dividend yield a lot less attractive by comparison to the uh, 10-year. And it doesn't help that we're headed into an election year where big pharma always struggles. If all that weren't enough, earlier this month, the company announced that the government's returning a big stock of Paxlovid, that's their COVID drug, and management had to slash its full-year forecast response. Their COVID vaccine also isn't selling as well as expected. Today we got an update when Pfizer reported, but the numbers came in a tad light. Management merely reiterated their new lower forecast from a few weeks ago. Not what we wanted to hear. But then again, stocks already come down dramatically from its high, so what do we do? Earlier today, we had a chance to speak to Dr. Albert Borla. He's the chairman and CEO of Pfizer. Take a look. Dr. Borla, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, hello. How are you, Jim? I am fine. How are you, sir? 
Very, very well. All right. Well, let's go over your quarter and the year. You've got a pretty well-defined strategy. You've had tremendous success in fighting COVID uh, with your vaccines. You've taken the profits and then made some, I think, wise acquisitions. But I want to be sure, because there's a disconnect between your stock price and what you've got in your portfolio and pipeline, I want to be sure how you would grade yourself right now about that transition that you're taking with the, with the COVID money to these acquisitions. Clearly, we are not happy with the way that the stock price is performing this year. And we try to understand the reasons. And they are coming down to two things. One was that there is a lot of uncertainty about the COVID projected revenues. And then there was a lot of concerns if we take the worst case scenario, then your cost base is very high. That's why two weeks ago we tried to address both. We announced several agreements that we have done, but now pretty much are giving very high certainty for someone to be able to model the COVID revenues for the years to come. And then also we announced the cost restructuring program that aligns more our new cost base, our cost base with the new projected uh, 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 estimations or revenues. So with those behind us, what really matters it is what the non-COVID business is doing. And this quarter, just today, we announced a 10% growth in our non-COVID revenues, So, which is tremendous, and it was way ahead of what the analysts were expecting. Yeah, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. I mean, there's something that occurred that is fortuitous, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but you picked a spokesperson, Travis Kelsey, perhaps because of his association with Taylor Swift, maybe the most famous athlete in the world right now. And he also has an antagonist, a fellow by the name of Aaron Rodgers, who called him Mr. Pfizer in order to mock him. But the fact is, sir, isn't that the kind of awareness that you need in order to be able to build uh, prescriptions, build vaccines, and then get people to realize the power of your portfolio? I think he is, and he's a wonderful spokesperson for us, and we are very proud that we are associating our name with him. But is it working? I mean, I know that when I go, uh, I feel like right now I went and I got my, my, my flu and I got my Pfizer COVID, and I felt rather uh, pioneerish. I felt that I'm alone. Now, I know others are doing it, but I, I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with the idea, why doesn't everybody do this? And what is the resistance? We thought in the beginning of the years, we thought that we will have 24% of the Americans, and that was our projection, we're doing a COVID uh, vaccine this year. So far, uh, it looks like it's trending more towards 17%. And so far, maybe 7 8% have done it. But the months ahead of us are, are very uh, strong. So there are many reasons why it's lower. Uh, and uh, we are far away from uh, the COVID fear. So everybody will do the vaccine. Now we are in the middle of the COVID fatigue. Nobody wants to speak about COVID. And we have also a lot of anti-vaxxers rhetoric at the peak. But the good news is that those that they are doing a vaccine right now are those that they truly believe in the value of vaccination. So that's a very base uh, assumption for what their vaccination rates could be as a floor going forward. But there is some sort of vaccine fatigue in this country right now that I think is affecting your earnings. Uh, You're right, but uh, it's mainly in the COVID area because... Our RSV has done uh, tremendously better mm-hmm. than what we thought. Our pneumococcal vaccine is doing tremendously better than what we thought and the analysts thought. And, of course, the flu vaccinations are doing trending quite well. We don't have a flu, but we know how they are trending. So there is a little bit of COVID uh, fatigue, which reflects on uh, the number of COVID vaccinations that we had. Also, don't forget, that, Jim, the COVID vaccines came a little bit late. 
in the right. season, right? In the middle of uh, September, approximately. We had all August quite a, a wave of COVID. So a lot of people got COVID and they can't do a vaccine before four months after they had COVID. Okay. So this morning I wake up at 3.20 and I realize, wow, migraine. I know it. Uh, my trainer's going to come in a few minutes. I pop my Nurtec. No migraine by the time he gets there. I look at the numbers. I know that as the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, there could be as many as a billion followers. And I'm thinking maybe you don't have enough awareness there. You paid Biohaven $11.6 billion for this remarkable franchise. Uh, I had thought it might be doing $1.3 billion this year. It's doing considerably less. $1.8 uh, in 2024. Again, it looks like it's going to do less. It's not your fault, sir. But there is a painful lack of awareness of this wonder drug. What can you do to get the word out, which, of course, would also benefit Pfizer shareholders? There is no doubt that we can do more. But right now, things are uh, not bad, actually, Jim. We had this quarter 28% more scripts than we had uh, last year. And uh, in actually, the last week of uh, October was the highest week ever recorded, 23,000 physicians prescribed. Right now, we have 70-plus thousand physicians in the U.S. alone that are prescribing it. Now, clearly, we can do more, and we have a lot of activities to educate physicians and the public and also to enlarge the access. Right now, we are going deeper into access, so unlocking a lot of opportunities that are happening. So I'm quite optimistic that Nurtec will do very, very, very well. Yeah, I just wish that they would spend more than 15 minutes on our med school, given the number of sufferers. Uh, it's absurd. Now let's talk CGen. This is a deal where there's absolutely almost zero overlap, I believe, with your company. But here we have FTC request, uh, 43 billion. Love to see that get rolling uh, because you said that it won't be accretive for three, four years. Where the heck is that? What I thought was a natural fit with Pfizer. Well, look. I mean, um, we are uh, progressing our discussions with FTC. This is the last step that has that still remains. We just got weeks ago our uh, unconditional clearance from uh, the European Union. So they see zero overlap as you very well articulated. So we're awaiting the discussions with uh, FTC. We are working very collaboratively with them. Still, we are optimistic and we hope to close before year end or beginning of next year. Nothing has changed on that. And um, we are really keen to join forces with the seeds and we are ready. We have already created our organizational charts. The people from Citizen will join the Pfizer Oncology. We have selected the leaders. And we are going to invest way more than what Citizen did so that we can progress this pipeline. I think our next thing, Jim, is cancer. We are going to kill cancer. I think that people should understand that there are cancers that routinely kill people now. There are death sentences. That if you look at Citizen's portfolio, maybe 10 years from now, there will be some that are not death sentences will come every year, a new one, right? Don't forget that uh, Citizen presented at ESMO just last week some data from uh, bladder cancer, which uh, is a very, very difficult cancer, but people have a 12-month survival rate, unfortunately, and they also had overall survival rate of 31 months, from 12 to 31. That's uh, transformational, and we are going to have every six months something like that happening. So 
we will make cancer a chronic disease. You right. can live with your cancer rather than the death sentence. That would be amazing. Now, one last thing. Uh, the GLP ones, you've got one that would be a pill. I think people think it's a winner take all, loser take none. The way I look at it could be like cholesterol, anti cholesterol. There's a lot of money made by everybody. You get approval with your pill, you can make a lot of money. Am I being too optimistic about this class of drugs? No, I think it is, it's, uh, this class of drugs seems that. Uh, is having significant advantages, and as a result, they are used a lot. And as a result, the market is projected to be very, very high. Uh, the, um, the estimations now it is this market can become hundred billion uh, dollars market, and you know maybe even more. So an oral pill, it is going to uh, create, uh, it's going to fill a very big gap because right now there are a lot of people that they don't like injections. So an oral pill will fill the gap, and I don't think there are so many. That they're coming in the market, but clearly with such a big market, there will be space. Yeah, I think 67% of the people do not like to self-inject, which is really rather extraordinary given how much you can do to keep down blood pressure, keep down weight, and of course diabetes. Dr. Borla, Doc, is Doc, Dr. Borla is the Pfizer chairman CEO. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the show, clarifying what I think is a very inexpensive situation with a lot of opportunity. Good to see you. Thank you very much, Tim. Absolutely. Man, money's back in for the Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's over the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing down to the lightning round. Let's start with Chris in Illinois. Chris. Hi, Jim. Uh, During the last few months, I have established a position in New Fortress Energy. Should I add to my position? I'm a big believer in West Edens. You must understand that West Edens is money. Does that mean that the stock's necessarily going to go up right now? No, but West Edens is money. I reiterate, and I share your support for New Fortress Energy. Chuck in Florida, Chuck. Hey, Jim, calling from Boynton Beach. Love Boynton Beach. Oh, my, we had a great mezcal shining there. Speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. Okay, listen, we had a, a brutal October, and I'm hoping for a better November, December, and, a, and a, possibly a Santa Claus rally. That'd anyway, I want to ask you about a, a stock that uh, has been bouncing like a Super Bowl um, between 150 and 200. And uh, the analysts are pretty positive on it. I want to get your thoughts, Jim, on Celsius holding. All right, there was a piece that came out today by some guy who said, listen, this is the greatest, 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 but it's too high. I think I would have written it like this. I missed it, I missed it, I missed it, and I feel really stupid. But that guy didn't must have. Hey, by the way, Stanford was my backup school. Can we just get that out on the record? And I think that Celsius is a buyer. I think the guy's a little bit, you know, it's like, just own up. I missed it, sorry. All right, let's go to Steven in Tennessee. Steven. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Jim. Not a problem. I want to uh, get your thoughts on a recent spinoff, um, particularly NCR Atlio, sticker NATO. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got to do work on this. I mean, to me, when it first came out, I was saying to myself, wow, this is a real bad piece of merchandise. But you know what? I'm a forgiving guy. I'm a kind guy. I'm a good guy. So we'll do more work. Let's go to Eric in Florida. Eric. Yo, Jimbo, what's going on? I'm calling about. I don't know, about- big guy. You tell me. Hey, I got a question about Kinsell Capital Group, ticker KNSL. Wow. All right. Buy, sell, or hold. I'm not an insurer. I don't, I'm, other than Chubb, I have not recommended insurers. That's just my rule. I only recommend Chubb. Let's go to Riley in Texas. Riley. Hi, Jimmy Chill. I'm chilling. Hope you're enjoying this part of the year. 
and we can navigate the manufacturing sector, specifically 3D Systems Corp. Yeah, that's that's that went to 2D. I don't know if you noticed that. Let's go to uh, Walter, New Jersey. Walter. Well, hi. Walter. Hi, How you doing? Happy Happy Halloween. Quick question for you. CCI. Uh, down for about 45 percent this okay, year. Okay, I was just funny. That's it because the light around is so realistic. I, I Jessen's going back and forth with Matt Horween, who's my writing am 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 ammunensis ammunensis, you know. Uh, and we think it's probably interesting at 7.1 percent yield. I'm not kidding. That thing's it says a 7 percent yield. I like that idea. Oh yeah, I'm giving the hook. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a what do they call the Stanford guys now? The red, big red, whatever. That's a special edition for you, comp and comp side and inside, all that other size. Lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Over the years, I've read a lot of Wall Street research. And, oh, it's pretty dry fair. Price target increases, holds the buys, earnings recaps, the like. Really, yawner, unless you're truly interested in models to tell you where to buy a stock based on discounted cash flow forecasts or growth at a reasonable price or some other soporific metric. And then there's this. Global EV Meltdown Early Playbook by Deutsche Bank's research department. This is actually a true pacer, a good-as-gold primer to the eve of destruction of the investment case for electric vehicles. Before I go into it, think back to a few years ago when electric vehicles were still novel and you couldn't wait to switch out from a dirty fossil fuel car or even a lame hybrid. What could be more exciting than touring around in a noiseless electric car, a Tesla, or maybe even a Chevy Bolt, or ultimately an electric Hummer and the Mustang Mach-E? From an investor perspective, you had two choices to play what was built as the greatest secular growth story ever told. Because as we know, the auto market's worth trillions of dollars. You could buy the perennially overvalued Tesla or the quantitatively undervalued Ford and GM with the mid-single-digit price-to-earnings multiples come hither. We now know that Tesla stock got too high and it's been a miserable investment of late, even as it still made you a lot of money long-term. But Ford and GM, right now they're looking like value traps because they spend fortunes on electric vehicles just when we realize that most of these cars are too expensive for consumers. As our own Philip Bo points out, the batteries are too expensive, too. When you throw in the huge win by the United Auto Workers against the putative big three, you're left with a plan that is in tatters. Whereas Ford and Jam are now up against Tesla, and Tesla's run by a ruthless billionaire who can cut prices at will. He's like Rockefeller with, the, with a stamp building Standard Oil because he has a lower cost basis and a non-union workforce. Hey, maybe the UAW can try to change that. But frankly, even Tesla doesn't feel safe. Think back to our interview with Stephen Schur. He's the CEO of Hertz last week. Hertz is all in on Tesla, and it turns out these cars require a lot of repairs, which are very difficult to do. At the same time, electric cars depreciate rather rapidly, which is quite the opposite of what Elon Musk predicted when he talked about appreciation via appreciation via ride-sharing and Uber-renting, during which would otherwise be idle time spent in the garage. Appreciation? No depreciation. It's hard to chart a path for a publicly traded uh, company that needs to lose billions of dollars making a product that fewer and fewer people seem to want. The excitement's been replaced by ennui or range anxiety. The sticker shock and the interest charges call into question the whole exercise. I like to own up to when I make mistakes for the Travel Trust. I read a companion piece to the meltdown note from Adam Jonas and Morgan Stanley. He talked about the bull's thought process from Ford and GM. Why do I need to pay 100 times for Tesla when I can get GM or Ford for six times P.E., which gives me their EV business for free? 
He then answers it in a dark way, rhetorically, of course. What investors seem to be waking up to today is the idea that tens of billions of dollars invested in EVs may be value destructive rather than value accretive. Right now, it's difficult to see a way out of the box, except maybe more and more losses as the legacy auto companies use their outsized profits to subsidize their unwise electric vehicle production. But it must occur. Maybe one day they can get their costs down, although I don't know how. I do know this. The current situation is simply untenable. And the global electric vehicle meltdown, as much as I don't want it to happen to Ford, could truly be upon us. All I like to say is always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Kramer on this podcast are solely Kramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Kramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Kramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Kramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.